I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. As you guys have seen, or more rather heard, the podcast has obviously changed throughout 2020 since March going forward. And it just felt unfair to my guests and to also you to pretend that like COVID and everything else wasn't happening around us as I recorded episodes. It felt truly unfair because it is so all-consuming. And obviously there are podcasts that are just doing what they do still throughout this. And I also think that's very fair. But just for me personally, I just didn't feel comfortable moving forward without talking about COVID in basically every episode in my guests' lives. And also race and what's going on politically. And what's been really interesting for me as the host, because uh, I've definitely now accrued a catalog of pre-COVID and post-COVID episodes. It's very, I almost said eerie, but eerie is not the right word. It's interesting how, how to say this, how COVID and sex are similar in that they are very universal things that we are, we both, we all experience and our relationship to it, but how individually unique each experience is within it. It kind of hit me when I was talking to my guest that's on this episode, Laura Zabalowski, 
Just like when I do Awkward Sex the show or when I do the podcast with uh, individual guests, no two sex stories are alike. Uh, same with no two COVID stories are alike. And we do obviously talk about COVID in this episode. And we talk about like the major like losses that were like thrown at Laura simultaneously like with COVID or sometimes because of COVID. And I just wanted to take a moment to kind of respond respect that just respect everyone's individual experiences through this some some are having a better experience than others some people have lost a lot some people have gained and this that like whatever your experience right now it's not wrong just like with uh your personal sexual experience uh like it's not supposed to look like everyone else's there it can't look like everyone else's and that's okay um, it's a very long intro. Uh, I think you will like this episode. I think it's a. Uh, I like every episode. I like just for someone who's like shy and very introverted. I do like the ability to allow people to just have their like milk box and have their like moment to just kind of have it all be about them for a second and just to open those doors and allow that moment for people. So I, I'm always very humbled that people are so willing to talk about things with me. We all, Obviously we talk not all about COVID. We do talk a little bit about um, sex, what it's like to be alone in New York through this, like living alone in New York through this. We talk about producing because uh, we both are producers and we miss it terribly. It's such a, it's such a high. I actually have people being like, you should be worried about like, like not producing, but like planning your wedding. And I'm like, I can't fucking wait. Like this is like, this is my shit, okay? Plan conferences, multi-day conferences. Like, like you don't even understand. Anywho, that doesn't matter. Rate, like, subscribe, review, check out the Patreon if you want to. And I will see you guys on the other side. No, I deleted the apps off my phone when I, sometime in like June, I had like the closest to a nervous breakdown that I've ever had and like deleted. I was just like, I don't need this constantly. Totally. I totally get that. It's uh, It's been a, a whole year for us, you know, yeah. like it's been a whole thing. It's so, I, I feel I was just talking to one of my friends about this of just like, it has been a year of the most loss I've ever experienced in one time and also like the year of like most growth like most personal growth I've ever it's just it's so and it's like really hard to manage all of those emotions all at once yeah I can't call it a nervous breakdown because that like real like there are real nervous breakdowns I just had like a very 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 bad panic attack after like nights of insomnia and well, took like three days in a hotel afterwards. I did like a staycation in the city. Oh, good. Well, first of all, panic attacks are the worst thing in the world. Yeah. They, yeah, I'm, they fucking suck. Yeah. I mean, I'm used to them. I'm like, I've been in and out of therapy since I was like 12 or 13. And I've like always been like an anxious kid. Like I remember w- waking up in like second grade and like waking up my parents and just being like, fuck, I forgot to do this project and waking them up at like three o'clock in the mornings. And like all the women in my family are like warriors. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. Like, so my, I'm first generation. Uh, my parents moved here from the Soviet Union. And it just like, I always use the example of like, I went to go, my mom is from Latvia and I went uh, with my mom to where she's from, from Riga 
few years ago when I was in college. And before we left, all my great aunts and everyone was asking my mom to pick up this drug. They were like, you can only get it over there. You can only get it over the counter. And I look up the drug and it's Valium. And I'm like, you know you can get that here. (laughs) We're like, that's possible here, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know that that's like, you can ask, like, you can go to the doctor and like be like, hey, I'm constantly nervous. (laughs) But it's just like, it's like a given personality trait. And it took like a very long time for me to realize that it didn't have to be a given personality trait. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. I last I would say like I guess like last November until like maybe June, I experienced kind of like the worst anxiety I've ever experienced before. I would have never ever called myself an anxious person. Like definitely like a worrier, definitely like a worst case scenario type of person. Yeah. But I don't like when people talk anxiety, I never understood what it meant. And then all of a sudden, like I'm having panic attacks, like on the train, going to therapy or anxiety attacks where it's like dizzy. Like I started having dizzy spells and they're still not sure if it was anxiety attacks or if it was actually migraines because some migraines can be. That's that's fun. Right? That's so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, it could could be anxiety or it could be dying. I don't know. There's something wrong with your brain either way. (laughs) Either way, we're going to give you a low dose of the antidepressant (laughs) and you're going to fucking love it. Um, And it's great. I love it. I love not feeling super anxious. But like anytime I start to feel myself get kind of anxious again, I get horrified that it's like happening again. And I'm just like- It's embarrassing. You You feel embarrassed. Like even like what happened in June is like so- the the timeline of COVID for me is within a two-week period. So in the beginning of COVID, I had a online COVID boyfriend, like mm-hmm. someone I talked to every day and we like, he was great. It was fantastic. And then he kindly broke up with me. He didn't ghost me, but he like firmly ended things. That same week, I was laid off from my job. And then my grandfather passed away and my great uncle passed away. Shit. Yeah. So this was all within like a two week period. And the way that I saw it, I was like, I can't focus on anything else until I get a job. That is the mm-hmm. most important thing right now. I can't. And like, we literally didn't have a funeral for like, they were, they were only allowing like six people at the cemetery. We didn't have a shiva. It was, it was just like a lot. And I, ha- I kind of put blinders on and was like applying, applying, applying. And I finally got a job and I got like a good job, got a raise, got like more than I was expecting, you know? Mm-hmm. And the week before that I got the job, I just couldn't sleep. And I realized like the way that I, I had stopped working out, I had stopped going to therapy because at the beginning of COVID, I was like, what the fuck are we going to talk about? Mm-hmm. The world's ending. Like, what is there to talk about in therapy? You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. am, are there actual problems? Um, and then I didn't want to pay out of pocket. So, like, therapy wasn't a thing anymore. And I, there was just one night where I literally didn't sleep at all. And I was supposed to go home to my parents that weekend. And I just freaked out and was like, I can't. I can't go home. I feel so guilty. I feel so anxious. I'm freaking the fuck out. And I ended up being like, okay, but I literally like took like two days in like a fancy hotel and just was like, I need to like recharge. I need to like be away from people. I need to like 
also feel happy about the fact that I got this job because I didn't, I was running a race that I didn't even realize I was running and I hadn't realized I had crossed the finish line, you know? Mm -hmm. And I had crossed the finish line and I didn't realize how fucking exhausted I was and how much other shit I had to deal with. Yeah. Cause grief already is so depleting. Yeah. And then to bring in so many different types of grief, like the grief of a job loss, the grief of like a relationship loss, and then like the, the grief of like a literal live loss. Yeah. Uh, and then it, just literally also like the world is going on. You know what I yeah. mean? Like the world is literally falling apart and there's nothing you can do about that. Because you said it happened in June too. So in June, that's when like, that's when the, like the protest really like yeah. erupted and it was a very weird energy i guess is what i want to say everything just became very charged that's a lot i'm really sorry i'm glad you got through it obviously yeah i mean like i did the things that i needed to do to start taking care of myself again i got back into therapy i got back on my anxiety medication i started working out again like all the tools that having been in therapy for so long i had tools at my disposal but like because of covid because of the nature of just like what life is now, I, all those tools were taken away. And like one of the biggest tools that I still can't figure out how to get back is like comedy. I don't know what to that part of myself. Mm-hmm. I still feel is just like, what the fuck do I do? Because I use that to identify myself for like so long. Well, how are the outdoor shows going for you guys? So we had one show at the Springs and it went really well. We sold out. All the comics who were on it were like so happy with like the social distancing setup. The mm-hmm. We kept it really safe. And then the SLA changed their rules to no live entertainment Fuck. of any kind. I forgot about that. I don't want to do park shows because there's so much you can't control for. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if this is going to sound pretentious or whatever, but I think I've built a good reputation for myself and for She Makes Me Laugh. Mm-hmm. And I want to I put forth the best possible experience, not just for the audience, but for the comics and whatnot. Like we were able to pay comics at, we were able to pay comics and the photographer at the, the spring show. You know what I mean? Like it, mm-hmm. we, we made our money back and, there's just so many things you can't control for with a park show. And like, how annoyed would you be if you like were with your kids and there's just like a shitty comedy show going on? You're like, I just wanted to go outside with my six-year-old for one, like this is my one time during the day to like go outside. Uh, someone, com- I saw like a random comment on a comedy show thread and it was like a bitchy comment, but I'm like, you know what? She raises a lot of good points. I don't want to hear really racy jokes in a public, public arena. That's not the right space for it. You can't control who's coming in and out. You can't control who's in the audience. Plus, like, they're not legal. Like, the cops can come and shut them down. I am a white woman. I'm most likely not going to be the one who gets in trouble in a real way. And so I don't want to put anyone who's at the show or performing on the show in a dangerous situation. I have very similar opinions. And then I went to a show this past Saturday. 
mm. in the park. And I was blown away by how good it was and yeah. how controlled it was and how um, the cops actually did roll up and it was a black and brown comedy show. And the cops were just, they like put their lights on. They were just like trying to show their dick and then walked, like they walked away or like they drove away. But I saw it and I was like, shit, this is really good. And then Aaron was like, yeah, you need to do Awkward Sex and City outside. Because we are, we are very aware of like putting on like what, it, what putting on a good show means. And so we do yeah. like to have control of a lot yeah. of variables. I think if you went to go see a few in the park, you'd be like, oh, okay. I mean, like there's ones that are like right on like one of the main grassy knolls where everyone plays. And like, that's not cool. But this one was like in a secluded spot and it had like an arena vibe to it because everyone like sat on this hill. And oh, there was probably like 150 people there. Really? And they were like, guys, if you can Venmo, please. And like, I know I Venmo 10, Aaron Venmo 10. So like people were getting paid. There's a way to do it. There is a way to do it. But we might have to like taper our expectations a little bit of what that control looks like. Yeah. Taper, taper our expectations a little bit. Yeah. And then I think like also like it's not like it's not going to be warm anymore soon. I, I just wonder what's going to happen like really come like October when you don't want to be outside for an hour and a half or however long, you know? I, yeah. I think we have until the first week of November. Because mm. even just like I'm outside with my friends all the time now and everyone's like, yeah, we're just going to bundle up because it sucks so much being stuck inside all day. I highly recommend podcasting. You have a mic now? I do. I, I've tried it before. I just like it's definitely on my mind. I just don't I, I want to fi- I want to position it the right way. I want to market it the right way. And I think I've been spoiled by she makes me laugh and how much work and how much uh, re- how rewarding it's been. Mm hmm. I'm just preparing myself for disappointment that for something that I haven't tried yet. Honestly, I think you have something in She Makes Me Laugh. Like, I think you guys could each host, like, it could be weekly or biweekly. And you guys, like, literally the traveling microphone and interview, like, Ophira Eisenberg. And the next week, your co-host interviews someone else and you just, like, shoot the shit. I think you could put it within your brand. But again, I totally understand it's your baby if you want to have a baby. They're, podcasts are, anyone listening, podcasts are a shit ton of work. I, I, Awkward Sex and City oh, no, yeah. did it's, not become a one until like five years in because I was so overwhelmed by it all. Like, I yeah. get it. It's a lot. I've tried I've tried to do it before. There was four or five years ago, my friend Chelsea and I tried to start a podcast. Uh, it was called You Do You with Chelsea and Laura. It was similar to this. It was going to be us talking about like dating and sex stories and drinking wine during it. Um, there was one episode recorded and posted where we accidentally drank a bottle of wine each. And I didn't realize that that was like, I never took it down because I didn't think anyone would be looking for it until I like had a second date with a guy. And he was like, so I Googled you and I found your <gasps> podcast. And I was like, what podcast? And like, I immediately went and deleted it. Cause I'm like, that's like, no one needs to hear a recording of me drunk talking about bad sex like no one needs to hear that I don't know I kind of want to hear that that sounds hilarious I yeah it was I was just so surprised that it still existed mm-hmm. I just like hadn't thought of it in like four or five years I didn't remember what was on the podcast I didn't remember like he was just like yeah you talked about like a bad date or bad sex or something and I was like well that's disappearing Oh my God. But like, it was so much work. We had to find a producer. We had to, cause like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. There's so much work that goes into it that like, either you have to find someone who like 
is talented and willing to work with you or you have to learn a lot yourself. I mean, I guess this is the time to do it, to pick up a new skill. I just hate learning shit. Yeah, I, I told myself I was going to le- learn Pro Tools in this shit. And then I was like, I don't want to learn Pro Tools through this shit. Like, I just want to I just want to read a book. I don't want yeah. to do homework. You were saying you haven't seen anyone in a long time? Like, because you've, you've, well, you've moved. You've moved, like, a, a big move. You went from North Brooklyn to now South yeah. Brooklyn. Yes. And whole new neighborhood, living alone. Yeah. I haven't seen – the only people that I've seen, my friend Chelsea, uh, we were working out – I found a personal trainer on Nextdoor. Mm. And Chelsea lives in Williamsburg. I lived in Greenpoint at the time. And so twice a week we would work out with this girl and we would do half-hour hit sessions. Nice. like interval training. So I've seen Chelsea – twice a week. And my friend Liz uh, lived, she was the first person that I let into my bubble. She lived, when I lived in Greenpoint, a block away from me. There's a couple of people, like after my grandpa passed away, my best friend, she lives in Staten Island. And she like called me one day and she was like, open your front door. And she was standing there. Aww. Like, yeah. Like, and she had already had COVID. So she was like, whatever, come in here, bitch. And I was just like, I, for a second, I just stopped caring. I was just like, needed it, you know? I've seen my family, especially after my grandfather passed away. And like my parents live in Jersey. Mm-hmm. So they're, they were super comfortable with driving and picking me up. So I didn't take, I didn't start taking public transportation until like August when I was looking at apartments because it was getting really expensive to pay like $30, $40 Uber every, like it was 80 to $100 every time just to look at an apartment that Ooh. I wasn't going to take. Damn. Yeah, I yeah. still have not gotten on any public transportation. And people have been like, it's fine. It's okay. People are wearing masks, but it's still just like, I don't like, I don't know. It's just No, it's it's weird because there are people wearing masks, but there's so many people with it like below the nose. And I'm just like, just you don't just fucking take it off then. Just fucking take it off. I was at the grocery store today and two an old, old couple, like 70s, hunched over. And the fucking guy did that shit where it was like the nose is completely uncovered. And I was just like, and they were being like assholes too. Like they were getting in everyone's way, not saying like, excuse me or like, sorry, pardon me. Like that's what I do. I like, once I see someone, I'm like, here you go. Here's like your space. Yeah. I'm just like, take it fucking off then if you're just not like. Yeah. Like you obviously don't care. You're just doing it for show. You're still being a dick about it. And I was just, that brought me back to Shiva. And this is probably like a very dumb question, but like. Is there anything with it that within the religion that like if you don't sit Shiva, like it's like bad? No, so like there's basically there's kind of this loophole rule within because the Shiva it, Shiva isn't in the Torah. It's in the there's basically the Torah is the Bible, mm-hmm. and then I also like I was in an Orthodox Jewish youth group. I know a lot more about Judaism than I am Jewish. <laughs> I don't practice really anymore. I like learning about uh, religion in a very like objective sense. So there is no strict rule about sitting Shiva. The reason Shiva and the reason we have rules for like when someone Jewish dies, you have 24 hours to bury them. Mm -hmm. It's basically like they're giving you a set of rules because death is hard and it gives you like, this is what you have to do. 
these are the steps you have to take when you're grieving. Like you don't have to think about it. You have to, you have to get that person buried in 24 hours. You have to grieve for seven days. Here's how exactly you grieve. And here are the people that are going to be coming to your house. They're going to be bringing you food. You have to eat. You have to like allow the time for mourning. The rabbis say that don't do anything above your health. So on Yom Kippur, if you're like really sick, don't fast. Mm, It's not that important. So like COVID, don't sit Shiva. Like, yes, still mourn, still do the things that like, I'm sure like more religious Jews have found ways to honor the traditions, but health comes before the traditions because they're, they're traditions. They're not rules. Okay. And so I guess with COVID too, then you don't have to bury someone within 24 hours because they probably wasn't able to. We still did um, just because my grandpa was in a nursing home and they didn't have enough spots in the morgue. And it was basically uh, bury him in 24 hours or he could be on a frozen truck. And it was just like, no that's we're not like they're not putting him on a truck did he pass away from covid he did but he had alzheimer's so it was sad but a a relief i i know that sounds bad but alzheimer's is the worst disease in the world yeah i've never heard anything good about it uh (laughs) i'm scared i'm scared to get it i'm scared Oh yeah it scares the shit out of me like I'm 100% sure I'm getting breast cancer. Like I Oof. know, like that's, it's just gonna happen. Alzheimer's is more just like, if I get it, I want to die before I get bad. That bad. Oh, yeah. oh man. I know that's like really depressing, but I like want that live. I want that like written in a living will. <laughs> no, that's fair because you've, you've watched what it's like, especially, and you've watched what it's like for the family as well. And I just, I have a friend that's like dealing with it right now and their father is uh, pretty young to have it. And it's just been like really rough and it's, yeah. and she's an only child and like, it's all on her basically. Yeah. So I totally this get where you're a, coming from. This is a super sexy combo, by the way. It's like <laughs> very sexy. <laughs> but this is like part of it because actually, <laughs> actually this friend um, I saw recently and she was talking about her sex life with me. And I'm not going to say too much because I don't, I'm not blowing up her spot or anything, but like a lot of people have like come to me to be like, Oh my God, like my sex life is so out of whack. My libido is out of whack. I don't want to have any sex at all. And I was like, yeah, of course you don't. Because it's like, there's a fucking like global pandemic happening right now. Like you didn't want to have sex when we were the global epicenter and everyone was watching us and no one was telling us what to do, except they were telling us how it was like our fault. Like that's yeah. so stressful. Like they I'm, were just like, go to a glory hole, but that's it. <laughs> oh my God. The, the New York <laughs> sex guide uh, to this day, I'm just like, <laughs> great. The fact cool. that there were like no kissing. I'm like, I'm sorry. If someone's inside of me, like I'm, we're going to make out. Like, I'm sorry. Like I don't like if I am, it's a calculated risk. I had two like one night stands where I just like invited guys over from Tinder because I like, I needed to feel something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I literally, and I've been on like a few COVID dates and those are fucking weird. And that's, I'm at the point where I don't want to date. I really don't want, I'm even before this, like I'm sick of dating. I'm sick of the, 
I don't want to tell you. I mean, how many times have I like told you about my interests? How many times have I like, oh, I have one brother. He's older. He lives here. And these are my parents. And like, this is where I live. And like, I don't give a shit anymore. I don't mm-hmm. give a shit. I just want to like skip ahead to the other part. I know that's not possible. I know you have to do the beginning stuff, but like, especially right now, I am so close to just being like, someone come over and hold me. Cause like, that's what I need. Like, yeah. I, I literally just need to like be held. Like I don't even like sex. Great. Fantastic. But like, I can make myself come. That's fine. I'm very good at it. I've gotten fantastic at it. I can do it in under five minutes. I don't need you for that. I literally just need to like feel the touch of someone. Oh yeah. Yeah. Literally just like the weight of someone's body on you is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like having a weighted blanket, I've just like, (laughs) that's been super helpful. But then also just like, this is so sad. (laughs) Like this is, it's not a replacement. And I just like, I don't know. We don't know when this is going to end. So I don't know like what the next step is. I'm like, not for nothing. I'm turning 30 in a week. And like, I've only had really one, what I would call serious relationship it feels weird to have gotten to this point in my life without having had a serious relationship, but I was a late bloomer. And I know that there's nothing wrong with me because of that, but it always feels like it's something that I have to explain. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I think a lot of late bloomers go through that because there was like one guy before Aaron that I guess I'd consider serious, but like it was like such a shitty relationship that I don't want to consider it serious. So, like, honestly, like, Aaron's probably, like, my only serious relationship, right? But I remember being in, like, high school and being in college and not dating, uh, and people were just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like, with a question mark. And it's like, but it doesn't fucking matter, you know? Right? But, like, you make it matter in your head so much because you're just so aware that everyone else is, like, like, I didn't lose my virginity until 23. Mm-hmm. And, like, the year or two leading up to that, like, in college, it was annoying. It was more embarrassing. But, like... 21 and 22 I would have panic attacks about the fact that like I had like I still hadn't had sex like I would freak the fuck out about it yeah for me one of the big parts like I didn't have sex until I was 20 but one of the things that would freak me out about it was that I was afraid I wouldn't know what to do with a penis (laughs) even though it's so easy I didn't give a head until I was 23 I didn't give head until I moved to New York City huh yeah. I was so afraid. I was like, how, like, what do you do with it? Truly, that you just should, put it in your mouth. That should be, that should be the new New York slogan. Didn't give head until I moved to New York City. <laughs> instead of I love New York, instead of whatever the t- fuck Taylor S- Swift saying, that should be on t-shirts. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. And I was like, New York, <laughs> New York waits for fucking no one. Bitch, you live in Nashville. Yeah, like, shut, shut up. up. <laughs> You're from Pennsylvania. Like, don't even pretend like you have, like, this southern twang oh. shit. And, like, the thing is, like, I love her. Like, I have nothing against her. I've been listening to fucking folklore on repeat, like, nonstop. Oh, yeah. It's so good. But, like whoever okayed that decision it's just like what was going through your head that <laughs> she's not our representative yeah she lived here like a year and a half i mean yeah, i think she still has a place like in tribeca no forgot which comedian said it but it's one of my favorite jokes i've ever heard about new york of just like last year 150 people got hit by subway trains 74 of those people survived you are only allowed to call yourself a New Yorker if you're one of those 74 people. 
I'm just like that. Yeah. Like get one of those people to write us a fucking song. <laughs> no, I, I gave my first hand job in eighth grade. I gave head for the first time when I was 16. And then there was just, I was, and it's still something that I work on. I had really low self-esteem. I was always chubby, fat, whatever you want to call it. I went to fat camp when I was uh, in middle school and I just had so much baggage. And then I got to college and my college was like 70, 30 girls, guys. Oh, same. Yeah. So there was this thing called like New Paul's Hot where like the most basic of dudes would get the hottest chicks because they like had anybody in the game. But then that left like the chicks like me who, I mean, I'm cute. I'm attractive, but in a 70, 30 split, I'm not getting what I need, you know? Oh yeah. And then my first time was 23. Uh, it was (laughs) the first time I got, I was the next day I was going to Mexico on a trip and I got my first Brazilian and I got very drunk and it wasn't great. I wouldn't call it if he was a good guy, he wouldn't have taken me home. I know how drunk I was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then I went to Mexico and I met a guy out on a bar crawl and had like a wonderful second experience. Like he was just like very sweet, like very nice. And like, that's what I count as my first experience. Cause I barely remember the first one anyway. Absolutely. They were like two days apart from each other. Someone on, on the show, Awkward Sex, did a story it was similar in that she counted her second time, actually her first time, because the first one was like, it wasn't like coercion, but it was just like something was off about it. And afterwards, I was just like, yeah, like you get, to, it's your fucking body. Like you get to fucking choose like when, yeah. because it's not about like, I, we don't want to say it's uh, like losing your virginity, virginity is just when penetration, if that's like the type no. of sex you're having. It's, it's like, also, it's a social construct. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like so, it's. It's not a real tangible thing. Mm-hmm. It's your sexual debut. So if you had a much better time the second time, then that's your fucking debut. Yeah, exactly. And then I had a boyfriend for six months and like, that's what I would call like my sexual awakening period. And he was like very good at dating, but he wasn't a good boyfriend. Like he was like, we broke up because I asked him to meet my parents and he was like, I don't see the need for that. And I was like, oh, okay. We're, and he wasn't a bad guy. You know what I mean? Uh I hold no ill will towards him, but I was just like, oh, we're, we think about what this is differently. Mm -hmm. So like learned what I liked and what I didn't like. We broke up literally like two days after I moved into the city. And then I had my slutty phase and that was really fun too. Yeah, I don't regret my slutty phase being in New York instead of college where it would have been just a lot of dudes that look like Seth, Seth Rogen, you know? Right? like and everybody would have known it too. Like mm-hmm. everybody would have known who you fucked. Every, there would have been so much gossip. There would have been like there, there just would have been so much talk. Like I am happy that I like did not go through my slutty phase in college because there was so much shame around that. Did you go to a small college? Uh, it was about 7,000, 6,000 under. Okay. Not too small. Not too small. Okay. No. Yeah. But it was like, it was a, like a little hippie liberal art school, SUNY New Paltz. They love the liberal art schools. They do love to goss. They really do. They do. And like I joined a sorority because I wanted validation um, because I was bullied in 
in middle school and I was just like, the cool kids want me. Like literally that was the only reason I can like 100% look back on that and be like, yeah, that's that. It wasn't a bad decision. I just wish I had done other things too because New Paltz was a weird place. And I was like, I could have like, I should have been doing shitty improv in college. <laughs> like I shouldn't have waited until I got to New York City, you know? But so I rushed too. I rushed because I also was like, I just want to see if I can be like one of the pretty girls. Um, and I got into Delta Gamma, which in a lot of schools is a really good one. At JMU, you can't spell dog without DG. They got kicked off our campus. <gasps> Why? What'd they do? Uh, so they got caught. I mean, my sorority also got caught uh, hazing, but we didn't do it. It was a lot of like mental shit. Like, oh God. <laughs> like that, but that's that's what girls do. Like, like boys are like forced to like eat fake goldfish or like eat like dog shit that's actually mush bananas. My brother was in a fraternity. Oh my God. And they got caught and kicked off because one of their pledges tried to commit suicide. And this was like, it was like the third time they had gotten caught with hazing. Shit. Yeah. Dude, it's so stupid when you think back about like the shit we used to care about. Oh yeah. None of it, like none of it matters. Even the shit we care about now, like doesn't even matter really. Not at all. So I went to, I went to New Paltz originally because they have a very good communication disorders program for like speech pathology and my grandma really wanted me to be a speech pathologist, but I majored in industrial organizational psychology, which is like psychology applied to business. I would have never guessed that. Have you ever used this degree? No. <laughs> <laughs> so like you can like, you can basically with the degree, if you don't go to a master's, if you don't go and get your master's. Uh, the really only way that you can apply it directly is working in HR. My first interview out of college was in HR. I stopped by my uncle's house beforehand, and I feel like this says a lot about my family style. I had to like pick up something from him, and uh, he gave me a hug. He said, good luck. You're not going to get it. But just like legit setting realistic expectations. It was my first interview out of college. <laughs> like I wasn't going to get it. <laughs> Yeah. And they like, I wish they taught us how to interview. Like I, so I was in Virginia and I'd go back and forth from New York in a fucking Trans Am. I got like 13 miles to the gallon (laughs) on the highway and I'd interview for these jobs. And I just like, I'm a terrible interviewee. Like, I'm just not good at it. I am always their second choice. So many times I didn't get the job. And then they'd be like, hey, the first person didn't work out. But, like, you had, like, potential. Like, this happened, like, four times. But I don't know how to interview. I don't know how. And I wish Honestly, I thought I might be. I might be able to teach you because it's, like, the one thing that I'm very good at. <laughs> I am so good at interviewing. I am so good at, like, I am better at getting jobs than I am at working (laughs) what is the secret like what do you do I don't I don't I don't think there's like a secret I think like honestly like and I know this is going to sound corny as hell but like improv helped the shit out of me like being able to think on your feet being confident but not being cocky being polite learning how to say I don't know is a very useful skill because they're gonna not everyone knows how to do that and people will panic and they'll like make something up on the spot and then they can tell 
I got a job with a 25% raise during COVID. Yeah, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Like there's like, I was prepared to take a pay cut just to get back into the market. It's different now, like interviewing over Zoom or Skype or whatever is, that's really weird as shit. Mm -hmm. In person, I like to have a power outfit and be friendly to literally everybody. Be friendly to the receptionist. Be friendly to every single person that you interview with. Come over prepared and take notes during the interview. Even if you don't think it's important, people fucking love that. I have never taken notes in an interview. People love it. People, okay. I, I have gotten like comments on like, ooh, you're taking notes. And I'm like, yeah. Just like, even if like you don't need it later, like it just, it looks, it looks good. Yeah. it's no. all about optics. Like, especially like w- with an interview, like they have already seen your resume. They already know that you have the qualifications. So it's really just a personality check. It's really just like, are you a professional person? Can you come into work every day and do this job? Like, are you sane? Can you do this shit? How professional are you? And are you going to mesh well with the culture? That takes like so much of the pressure off. It's like, I always felt like it was like, now they're checking that the resume is correct. No, if you got an interview, a suit, like if you got an interview, they know that you're qualified. <laughs> this reminds me back in college when I was just like sending out cover letters, like left and right, like a oh. hundred. And then one lady, like I wasn't getting any responses. And then one lady like responded back and was just like, Hey, you're not getting an interview with us, but I just want you to see what you did real quick. And she pulled up my cover letter and it highlighted where I had like like four different company names. Oh. And she was like, this is why. And I was like, oh shit. That's honestly like that's that's probably the nicest thing that someone could have done. I Oh my God, yeah. It's so hard because you no one teaches you these things. No one teaches you like how to do your taxes. No one teaches you how to build a resume. Like I'm thankful that like my parents work in corporate environments. So like they were able to like, you know, do a gut check of that. But they also work in much more corporate environments. So like they freaked out when I got tattoos and they were like, you're never going to get hired. And I'm like, yeah, we live in different worlds. I remember my blog, I, this used to be a blog. And when that came out and like, if I started doing random videos, my mom would be like, your job perspectives are going to look at this and see this. And I was like, I want them to look at this and see this. Like, I don't think you understand comedy. Like this, like they need to see that yeah. I'm actively working and things like that. And they, they just, they could not understand it at all. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't know. This is going to stop everything. And like, obviously not, obviously it turned into something much bigger that I've obviously made money off of now. And it's like now this podcast, but like parents don't understand shit. They don't. And it's like, I know it's out of protection, I know it's out of like, they want the best for it, but like my mom works in banking and my dad works in pharmaceuticals. So like, I understand that there is a different, it's, it's different, but like even so like when I was applying um, and interviewing for the job that I have now, um, I was in the final rounds and they asked for references. And so I reached out to a few people. One of them was my old boss at the agency that I had just gotten laid off from. And he was like, what is the job? What exactly do you need me to like speak up about? Like, what do you need me to like say that you're good at and shit? And then afterwards he like sent me this message and he was like, I really hope you don't mind, but I told them that you do comedy. And I told them that it's really important to have people who have passions outside of work because it makes work more interesting. It makes light like it makes your day-to-day more interesting and they're more interesting people to work with oh nice right not for nothing like she makes me laugh 
takes a shit ton of work, mm-hmm. takes like a shit ton of like skills that I can transfer over to jobs. I talked about She Makes Me Laugh in so many interviews, but just like in the right way of just like, yeah, fuck, I have to schedule a fucking three-day festival. I have to deal with people canceling last minute. I have to deal with weird personalities. I have to deal with paying people. I have to build something from the ground up. There were more examples that I could pull because I was so passionate about it. Listen, I'm, I love my job. I'm happy that I have my job. It's a great job, but I'm not passionate about it. So I don't remember the challenges. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't remember like what, what was a hard thing that you had to do at work or a presentation that you had to give. Like there are canned answers, but like they want to hear something that you spoke passionately about. It doesn't have to be that specific industry that you're interviewing for. It just has to be applicable. Yeah. And actually like, it's a really interesting point that you bring up because when I was still interviewing for like, I call them big kid jobs. When I was still interviewing for big kid jobs, I was actually very embarrassed by awkward sex in the city. And I wouldn't bring up comedy and I wouldn't like, I didn't know how to like work around that. And I always thought it was going to be, it wasn't going to be in my favor that I like produced this live tour and this live show. Honestly, no, that's something that you can like, Maybe the name is something that like might be awkward in the That's interview. That's the problem. Yeah. But you can be like I produce like that the the skills that you're using are skills that they're going to be interested in because that's not something that's on the resume. That's not something that they already know about you. Yeah, totally. And then I I always go back to babysitting because it's like way easier to schedule with and like do comedy. Yeah. And moms, stay-at-home moms, working moms, they're totally going to Google you. And so I had one mom that I worked for like for three years and she was like, I want to tell you something. She's like, I Googled you and I wasn't going to hire you at first because of the show. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know why you're telling me this. Like, yeah, like you're like two years now. Are you like negging me? Like, that's like, that's like a guy being like, I, I saw that picture where you, it wasn't so flattering, but I'm going to fuck you anyway. Like that's, <laughs> it's the exact same type of energy. Like, why are you telling me this? She, she was just weird socially in a lot of ways. I actually feel very sorry for her. She, I think she's a very unhappy person. Yeah. Awkward sex city would always come up with babysitting jobs, like a very intimate job with children. And it didn't get in the way. Like I always thought it would with like corporate jobs. Yeah. If you can like LLC and give it another name. So like before all this happened, my plan this year was to LLC. uh, She makes me laugh. And it was going, I wanted to LLC a production company and have it be Big Mermaid Productions. So like you can LLC Awkward Sex in the City, just don't call it, at awkward sex productions call it like awkward productions or like natalie wall productions or like whatever it is that way you have you have it to talk about but like i can understand why saying awkward sex in the city in an interview is it's not a deal breaker but it is like it, it it's it makes the air a little funky yeah like a like an alert goes up yeah but it's like it's not a bad thing yeah actually awkward sex is an s-corp um under coblamo entertainment oh so that's what you talk about <laughs> i never thought about talking about it from the production company's point of view yeah that's, so that's funny. what you that's what you talk about yeah and honestly i think you totally should still do it i would check to see if an s-corp is not the right option for you because mm-hmm. uh well would you be the one in sole control or would it be you and your co-host? Because that changes I things. Think, I think it would be me. So Maria actually moved to, well, in October, she is moving to California. Right. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me. 
it's my baby. Mm-hmm. I don't put in all the work. It is a group effort. But if I stopped producing shows, the shows would stop being made. Yeah. So you're like, you're the main producer. Yeah. Okay. That's an important like thing to know. Yeah. Not, not that like Ashley and Michaela and Maria are very important parts of it, but like it, it's weird to, cause I, I don't want it to sound like I am discounting what they do because they do a lot and it couldn't get done, especially the festivals and the shows when we were running them monthly would not be able to be done without them. There's so many moving parts, especially the festival. Oh yeah. A festival. Yeah. I've only done one. It's a lot. Um, I actually like truly love this episode because it's like how to interview. Let's talk LLC. It's just two <laughs> producers talking shit and giving advice, you know? It's and like especially in it's COVID, very sexy. Like in COVID. It's very sexy. That is a really interesting point that you brought up too, that you're like, I used comedy was like my big like identity for a long time. And I think we watched that happen to like a lot of people. And it is really hard to figure out who you are outside of it. Like, yeah. because it is so to really, truly do comedy, you're just like truly in it. And so I would say back in like, whenever like me and Aaron got serious, I had to like, I stepped back personally from comedy a little bit and was just like, I need to know that I am having specific time with him, specific time by myself and specific time with comedy. And yeah. I knew it meant that it would take longer to get where I wanted to be. But yeah. when COVID hit, I was like, I don't need comedy. Like I miss it, but I don't need it where I, where I think like a lot of people had like some pretty intense, like not like breakdowns, but just like, it was a lot. I think it's just, I lost so much all at once that Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm okay. I, I really am. And like comedy hasn't gone away, but I need to do things like this more. I need to start a podcast. I need to write more. I need to, engage with it more because I just I had figured out something that I was really good at and that I enjoyed doing I enjoyed learning I enjoyed failing at it I enjoyed making mistakes I enjoyed growing and that is not possible right now Mm -hmm. it's just it's just not but that doesn't mean that comedy is impossible that's entirely untrue comedy is completely possible we're seeing it right now there's like so many new like productions being put up. There's park shows, there's new podcasts, there's new blogs, there's new vlogs, there's like a million different things. It's, it just feels a little bit like giving up my baby, you know? Like yeah. I, I, I built something and it, it feels, I'm sad to have to, I don't think it's done, but I just, there is no future date for when we're going to be able to do it again. Yeah. But the foundation's there, at least. Like, yeah. you have the foundation. And when shit is open again and we're allowed to hug each other and, like, touch people's faces again, we're yeah. going to make so much fucking money. Yes. Like, people are going to lose Dude, their shit. I'm telling you, the spring show sold out. Like, and oh, we, yeah. we undersold tickets because they originally told us they could fit 80. And I was like, that sounds like a lot. Let's do 60. Mm-hmm. And like, we could have done 80. Like there was room for 80. You know what I mean? And nice. I kept it like, it, it's possible. It's just the fucking SLA needs to understand that so much of New York is entertainment. And like, mm-hmm. there's an entire industry at stake that I, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the entire industry. 
I have, I think I, I can't remember if I talked about this with Aaron, if I talked about this on the podcast, but I have been shocked to watch the arts just be let out just, just to just slowly like die when it's like, yeah. that is what people come to New York for. People don't come for yeah. the fucking financial district. People don't come no. for Staten Island. They come for Broadway shows. They come for live comedy. They come for restaurants for like yeah. Michelin star restaurants and for an experience that you are actively killing. Yeah. And you are, he's freaking out about our economy and our, our like, we're in like in a $9 billion deficit. And it's like, but you're killing it. Like, this is your fault. The SLA yeah. is bullshit. There's, there's this bar that we go to like right around the corner. There was a lady that makes empanadas there, but she's only there for like five days of the week. So she started making these like spring rolls. And when she wasn't there, they like weren't giving out receipts or something. And the SLA fined them because they weren't giving out receipts with the spring rolls, but they were giving out food with the alcohol as they've asked people to do. And it's just like, what, what the fuck is this? What, what, what? No. No, and, like, the rules are constantly changing. That, that's one of the things, too. Like, it's literally, like, from day to day, from week to week, the rules are different. So, like, yeah, there's just, like, so many. Like, and, like, why is Park Life allowed to have, like, trivia and movie nights and shit, but, like, we're not allowed to have comedy? Like, or, like, a live musician. Or even when, so when we had the show at the Springs, the rules were comedy still wasn't allowed. Music was allowed, and fundraising was allowed. And since every single She Makes Me Laugh show is a fundraiser, because we always donate like a portion of the tickets, like oh, okay. it was a workaround to that rule. But now it's no live entertainment of any kind. And like, I can understand where the Springs is coming from. Like they can get their liquor license taken away. I can't fault them for saying, no, we, we're not going to take on this risk. It's not worth it for them. But there's an entire industry at stake. And not just like industry, it's like it's people and it's venues and it's businesses and like something's gonna give. I mean, I think it's gonna give soon because they're opening up indoor dining. So I think something is gonna give soon, but I'm just, I don't know what it's gonna look like. It's really weird not knowing so much. Yeah, it's been really hard to let go of. I think both uh, you and I are both like love to be in control and like love to have control <laughs> of our narrative. Yeah, and so no. COVID's been a huge like, you, bitch, you ain't got no control of this. Like, nope, nope. It uh, forgot who tweeted it, but someone was like, yeah, this has been really terrible for people who use planning as a defense mechanism. And I was like, I'm in this tweet and I do not like it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't even realize that I did that. I was uh I was gifted this like huge like planner this like very intense planner for 2020. I have I used to carry around as like a schedule planner and I threw it out because like where am I going? I now have a whiteboard calendar on the wall because I still fucking need something. I get like a little high every time I put like this Zoom into my Google Calendar. Like yeah. Zoom recording. It's like I've got one thing. Yeah, no, I have I have our thing podcast taping tonight. Like it's on there. I get to like cross it off. I, I need a visual of it. I like to plan things out. <laughs> like gives me a little bit of a high. No, same, same, same. I know. I, I really miss performing. Like I really do. And going to the comedy show was like, fuck, I really miss this. But yeah. I miss producing so much. I love producing. It gets me wet. You know, like I love it so much. I am more myself when I am producing than any other time. So I don't mm -hmm. perform that often. I really like just started doing stand up within the last year or two because like 
with a full-time job, I fuck I I fucking hate open mics. Oh, yeah, I hate bullshit. open mics so much. And all of them are at like midnight. And I'm like, I have a full-time job and I have to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning to do my hair and like do my makeup and shit. Like I'm not doing this. So like I would just like wait to like, I'm like, I have built enough goodwill. I've been running a show for three years. People will just book me and I'll find the two open mics that I like. And that's what I'll do. But like, I haven't been, I mean, I did improv pretty regularly for like, four years. So I never like open mics felt like they weren't as necessary for me because I feel like I got that open mic energy out through doing shitty improv. You know what I mean? Yeah. Open mics are the worst. I haven't done one since I think 2013. The last one was like nothing but dudes. I think I was the only girl there and it was nothing but like rape jokes and racist jokes. And I was like, okay, bye. Like there's a reason why you never see any of these people on shows. It's like all they do are open mics. So you don't need that. No, the only people, Tracy Soren ran an amazing open mic and I forgot the name of the bar, but she ran it uh, with Angela Palladino and Joe, I forgot his last name, but it was in Williamsburg on either Grand or Graham. That was a great open mic. It was at like seven or eight o'clock. One of the rules was like, don't be an asshole. It was just like, it was solid. Like I would go to that and there was like one other one that I would go to, but then I would be like, you know what? People have seen me on stage. People have seen me host shows. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm not getting stage time. Like, I am getting stage time. It's literally just like, I need to get a tight 10. Like, that's why, like, doing the Awkward Sex in the City show, that was, like, one of my proudest. Like, A, like, I was just, like, I called people. I was like, I got paid to do comedy for the first time. Like, I was so happy. And, like, also, like, so much of that was made up on the spot. Like so much of that was just like, I have like maybe two or three things or like bullet points, but like, I'm never going to be the type of person to write out jokes because I know I'll stumble over the words. I know Mm -hmm. I'll like fuck up a punchline, but same as you, like, I feel so powerful. So myself and like, yeah, I like, I get wet from producing. I'm just like, yeah, bitch, I'm in charge. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you answer to me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. (laughs) You see this clipboard? This clipboard means something. <laughs> uh, I like this episode. I think it's actually a really interesting episode. Is there anything I, you'd want to say before we stop? No, I don't. <laughs> There's nothing to promote. Um, <laughs> if you want to wish me a happy 30th birthday, it's on September 23rd, one week from today. Yay! 30s, 30s are definitely different from 20s. Yeah. Uh, it's a, I, <laughs> I think they're great. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. Aw, yeah. I'm glad you get, like, a party still at Park Life. I'm so excited. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited for you. I'm back. It's just me. Uh, thank you for listening. Remember to follow Laura on Laura. It's Laura Zabs, Z-A-B-S on Instagram and Twitter. And she also produces She Makes Me Laugh, uh, which is a comedy show and also a festival. It's a great festival, uh, as you heard in the um, episode. And I've been lucky enough to be able to actually do my live shows at both of the festivals. Both my live shows are from the festival. And that's very cool. And just, again, very honored. Take care of yourselves. Keep washing your hands, keep wearing your masks. Uh, one of the, I'm, I'm getting nervous.
for fall, I've already talked about it because one of the major predictors for New York, they're starting to predict like a, a second wave in October, starting in October. And that's just horrifying and I don't want it to happen. And I don't want to go through it again. You don't want me to go through it again. It'll be much darker episodes yet again, but um, I will see, I will talk to you guys next week. <laughs>